0: Hello and welcome to our podcast where we take fictional science from comics, movies, TV, etc., and try to make it factually, scientifically, possibly real. I'm Stoby.
1: I am known as Forgan. And I'm Stu.
0: And this is the science of fiction. Pick up the tricorder, put it on your head Scanning the planet, see if anyone is dead Autonomous car driving in Zanzibar me up Scotty, I'm not that far Android hoovering, tearing up the place Flip phones and conference calls, friends in outer space Astrophysicists sitting on my knee Asking aliens if they like a cup of tea i To the
1: science of fiction I've got an addiction To
0: the science of fiction. I got an addiction, baby, to
1: the science of fiction. I got an addiction to the science of
0: fiction. What up guys, welcome to episode five of the science of fiction. This week I'm joined once again by Dr. Forgan and Mr. Stew. How's it going, guys? Pretty good. How are you getting on? Excellent. Good, good, good. Let's just do what we always do and just jump straight back into it. Uh, Before we do that, though, just when we are talking about checking our audio and things like that, it reminded me I've got a a Russian friend who's a sound engineer and a check one, too. A check one, too. No.
1: No. No? No? No. Right. Moving on.
0: So what are we talking about this week, Stu?
1: This week we are talking about well we've been discussing how we want to refer to this and basically it looks like we're going to be taking a massive dump on Tony Stark and more specifically specifically oh dear uh we're going to be taking a dump on Mr Stark's Iron Man suit and exactly some of the numbers behind whether or not it's particularly feasible or whether or not he'd be turned into jam on the first time he starts flying through the air too ha- too fast do you concur, Doctor?
2: Um, my feeling is that he's going to be pretty much jam, pretty much all the time. <laughs> so it's, it's
0: kind of like when we took in episode one, when we took Mjolnir and just basically said, "This is not scientifically possible." <laughs> it strangely, feels like we're about to. Just strangely, something shit from on a comic
2: Stark, isn't like you <laughs> quite going to
1: happen in real life. I know.
2: Well, what I'm more inclined all to all give that? Mjolnir a buy, right? Because it's. It's baked in that it's meant to be magical, right?
1: Yes. Hold on, are you saying that magic makes things fine?
2: Well, at least you can say, well, I'm not expecting science to do a good job of explaining this, right? Because there's bits of it that are completely unscientific. But Tony Stark's whole thing is that he uses technology, he uses science to give himself superpowers, right? Through his suit. But... The science behind the suit is obviously pretty ropey.
1: Yeah, and and we can totally understand that it doesn't be a particularly great movie if after the first combat he opens up the suit and he's essentially completely crippled because every bone in his body is broken and like all the blood vessels in his head have exploded and he's just going, oh, oh, I'm in a horrific amount of pain. I think I might watch that film. Not the great. Not a movie you can show the kids. <laughs> Well,
2: I think you could have an Oscar winner on your hands there, you know, that he he tries it out and then he becomes a cripple and then...
1: Doesn't want to get back in the suit. Don't want to get back in the suit. Don't want to get back in the suit.
2: Well, you know, you could have this kind of tale of redemption and then, you know, somebody trying to repair themselves after a horrific injury. I mean, that's kind of Oscar buzzy sort of material, if you got it right. Um, Not very good for comic book movies. And
1: definitely not a Disney movie. No. No.
2: I think the graphics on that might be a bit much. (laughs) But you'd have, like, if you're
0: reading the comic, you've got, like, five issues of him just sitting. <laughs> yeah, There's one panel I'm mm, okay. Occasional panel is out. Yeah. Tony Stark shattered pelvis. <laughs> oh, my God, I just believed. I thought you were going to say Tony Stark shat it. <laughs> so
2: uh.
0: so, so let, let's just quickly talk about the Iron Man armor then. So, yeah, like we were saying, he, he gets in his suit. He's designed it in such a way that it's humanoid, you know, it works in his body, around his body, and it is powered in the centre by what he calls the arc reactor, which is developed in the first film. So, the arc reactor powers everything that he does, and bearing in mind he generated his prototype, or he created his prototype, in a cave. (laughs) That's one of my favourite lines in the film, is, Tony Stark built this in a cave. (laughs) How theoretically possible is it to have an infinite source of energy that size? And have we got anything equivalent similar? No. (laughs) Right. Cool. There we go. (laughs) Question number two.
2: (laughs) If we did, then it would be a very different story, right? I mean, our drive for energy would be very different because you would need to build lots of wind farms or burn gas or anything like that. You'd have a little power source that could, you know, essentially power entire cities from something that sits in the palm of your hand. So I I went and had a look um, at other people's ideas as to how this might work. And there's a fairly detailed article on Gizmodo where someone's tried to turn the arc reactor into a real quote-unquote thing. Um, And the guy out front says he's mixing real science and fake science. So he's making a lot of inferences based on what the thing looks like. And so the thing looks like what we call a tokamak. And so a tokamak is a big donut-shaped thing. Um, And the reason it's in that shape is you're trying to basically contain very energetic particles so they can hit each other. And as when they hit each other, some of them will fuse together, and that fusion creates energy. But they're traveling very fast, and the way to try and keep them in the same place is to use very strong magnetic fields. And so there are real things. These are attempts to try and do fusion. Um, that we don't have a reactor yet that actually gives us more energy out than we put in, at least not for any length of time. But the physical concept of using magnetic fields to contain something inside a donut and firing them at each other to try and produce energy, that is a thing, right? And the arc reactor looks a bit like a tokamak, like the full-sized one. That being said, it's very unlikely you could then miniaturize it, make something that size and put it in your chest. In the rest of this article, the guy comes up with some theories as to where the energy is coming from. It's a very clever and imaginative solution. So the film talks a lot about palladium and that he and I think in the second film he has like palladium poisoning yes. or something. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, he does. So this person's hooked on to the idea of palladium. And so palladium has two different isotopes that are interesting. So an isotope is when you have an atom that has A certain number of protons, so we know how many protons uh, make up a given atom. In fact, let me do some on-the-fly googling to check the atomic number of palladium. (laughs) uh, is 46. Okay, so if you've got a palladium atom, it has 46 protons in it. It will have a certain extra number of neutrons in it as well. And so in some cases you may have slightly more, in some cases you may have slightly less. They're all palladium but they just are slightly different from each other. So you have what's called palladium 103, which is those 46 protons plus a bunch of neutrons to make up to 103. And you also have palladium 107. And these two isotopes uh, decay. Um, So palladium 107 decays to release electrons, and palladium 103 can capture those electrons. So the idea that this guy's had is that basically the thing is made of part. Palladium 107, part Palladium 103, and they're just basically passing the electrons back and forth between each other, and that passing back and forth is releasing energy out of the system. The problem with that is that the energy it's releasing is neutrinos. Neutrinos are extremely low-mass particles, and they'll just take all that energy and it'll just escape. You'll never see it again. So actually turning that into an energy source is quite hard. However, if you could do that, then this is quite a clever way of producing energy because you're just passing electrons back and forth. Um, You're not losing electrons in the process. You get one from one isotope and you give it to the other and back and forth and so on. If you can do that, yeah, this could kind of work. The problem is that the rate at which one does these decays compared to the other is very quick to get rid of your first electron takes a long time. So um, we talk about half life, and we're talking about radioactive decays. Which is okay if I've got a sample, how long will it take for half of that sample to have decayed? And it takes six and a half million years for half of a sample of of one of the Palladia to decay. Oh, that's fine. The other has a half life of seventeen days. Oh,
1: okay. Oh, so they're totally out of balance, <laughs> right? <laughs> so this is a huge problem. It's like yeah, it, it's like a, like a tweet. It's got the half life of a tweet. Yes, <laughs>
2: probably not even that. Um, so the problem there is that you're just, you're asking two processes not to match. Um, and you're also asking for that process to release energy in a way that you can use. Um, so you want really to produce like photons or light, you know, gamma rays, for example, that's not really produced by these kinds of, uh, these kinds of decays. So we're kind of in trouble there because, you want the reactor to produce lots of energy. It produces like what looks like plasma blasts. Um, I don't see how it does that, unless it's just firing lots and lots of electrons out of
1: the suit. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine when it comes to the whole plasma blast things that, that that rather than that being the um, the reactor itself doing it, I imagine there's like a focus or a device because there are points during. The movies where you see him, like he fires a laser to cut things through things, and that's clearly like something that's just being powered up because he goes, oh, "I've I've got one shot at this," and then he just sort of pops the pops the thing out because it overheats. Mm. Um But yeah, I mean, when you consider that, I'm, I'm sorry to to correct you, but my my, my uh, on this, but I'm pretty certain the prototype was about was the was the two story thing inside the warehouse, and that the art reactor was a. Condensed version of it. So just to push it had my glasses been... up my nose for a couple of <laughs> <Yeah>. seconds. <laughs> it <just laughs> had been correctly. designed
0: before he hit the cave. He had yeah, yeah. designed he had, it. He had, um... The
1: prototype was the, was the thing in the cave, and then he sort of like yeah. miracle miniaturised it. Made in, the prototype of the chest version. Yeah. The chest version. Sorry, the pernickety part of me just kicked in there.
2: So the, the issue with that is that you take this big, big prototype thing, which has a really powerful magnetic field and then you say well the same thing's going to happen now in a thing like the size of my palm to get your particles to basically go in a circle around your palm the magnetic field required would be so huge that if you had that device next to your heart bye that's it you're done so that's like literally a showstopper that you know if you have any anything with that strong a magnetic field operating next to well any part of your organs like we are electromagnetic beings right you know we a lot of our physical processes rely on, um, you know, currents and the motions of electrons. If you put a whacking great big magnet next to us, that is bad news. Yeah, and that, that's
0: something I don't think a lot of people would think of either. It's the fact that, like we've discussed before we started recording the different things that would cause them, like you said, Stu, to turn them to jam. But even just that, just that the magnetic power needed would just turn them to dead.
1: You know, as. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, one of the one of one of the things I think makes the first Iron Man movie what brings the joy to that first Iron Man movie is you see him doing a lot of the the design of the suit, essentially sort of piecemeal. Mm. So when you get that moment with the the. Where you, you, You sort of stretch, they stretch the sort of the imagination with the whole, oh, I'm in a, in a cave and I make this and it's all But when you, once he gets out the cave and gets back to the technology, you see him clearly refine those ideas. And there's a, there's a, you can, I'm not going to explain it away, but part of me wonders is if he, once he's done that first sort of thing and he's built the suit and all that, he's obviously making that version 1.0, 1.2. And you see that process from him's side. See, would you say it would be feasible if he's sort of, again, he's supposed to be a genius and be able to think about these things and do these, this math in his head. And if he comes up with his point to be able to do it, that he could then find a way of designing some sort of shielding that means that he can have it operating in that sense. Does that make sense? Like, obviously, once you move into the later movies, he gets to palladium poisoning, as we mentioned. But to, to essentially prevent the, the, those effects, from movie magic sort of things, like, or would that just, again? Would that just be something that's just impossible because it would just go straight through the, that shielding?
2: I mean, it's very hard to contain a magnetic field, um, especially the one as powerful as the one he's talking about. So, it, it, I can't see a way of that happening. I can't see a way that you can just put up a like a what you're talking about is you've got this this thing on your chest and then you've got what. Maybe an inch of material between that and your skin,
1: if you're lucky. To be honest, there's a there's a part in the movie where I'm pretty certain Gwyneth Paltrow is about up to her middle of her wrist, deep in his chest. And I'm going, well, I'm pretty certain that's where his heart actually is. <laughs> but then again, I'm not a doctor. He hasn't got
0: uh, one. <laughs> He's a scientist.
2: She's <laughs> <Stop laughs> just staring at me. <laughs>
0: Uh, And I suppose that kind of starts to bring us nicely into what you were thinking about, uh, Stu, with the Iron Man armour.
1: Yeah, so um, obviously throughout the series of the various movies he's been in when he's wearing the armour, Tony, while wearing the suit, does take some kicking. Yes. Uh, Particularly in points where he's taking blows that if he wasn't wearing the armour... He would be splattered into pieces. But even then, like, there's a point where you're going, There's only so far that a suit of metal armor with whatever is, whatever, whatever it's made of, mm. is still going to essentially turn a man to spam. Um, for example, is in the first movie, he's flying out of one of the, the towns uh, after he's dealt with the terrorists and he gets hit in the chest by a, a tank shell. Now, what does a suit like that need to be made of to be able to withstand that? And what is the effect to the human body inside said tin can suit? Is it, a, is it similar to Spamification? <laughs> Spam- <laughs> <laughs> I might have an answer to this one. All right, all right.
0: Bubble wrap.
1: Bubble wrap. Ah, oh, that's amazing. And idea. cotton
0: wool. question three
1: (laughs) I just love the idea that he's just like wrapped me up and going woo.
2: right so what happens to a tank when it's hit by a tank shell well it either explodes or it takes a severe amount of damage depending on where you hit the tank it's a really big dent if you can hit the tank in some way that you can you know maybe ignite the fuel or maybe ignite some of the ordnance in the tank by tank but even then, like if a tank shell explodes on like a well-armoured part of the tank, the armour is damaged, right? And that's the way that the armour protects the people inside. So, for example, right? Like, okay, I'm going to pretend that you two are my first-year physics undergrads. Cheers! Um, I didn't have to set <laughs> a test or anything. This
1: is awesome. Oh my god, we've made it into university! <laughs>
2: Okay, you're going to get like officially like one university credit for sitting here. This counts on. Um,
1: it's been recorded. He's officially Doctor Stoby
2: at the ready. <laughs> so, okay, you're sitting in my lecture. It's classical mechanics,
1: and Stu PhD Stoofed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We're getting split up. <laughs> right, you sit in that side of the lecture year, and you sit on that side. Okay, and <laughs> put your phones away. Um, We'd be the worst students ever. <laughs> So we're doing classical mechanics and uh, we're going to talk about the the scenario that we often talk about when we're teaching student classical mechanics, which is a car crash. So when two cars meet, when they're not supposed to, um, you have two things you have to think about. The first thing you have to think about is the momentum of the two cars and the momentum of the two cars before is going to be the same as the momentum of the two cars after. And the other thing you should think about is the total energy. So the energy that both cars have is going to be the same as the, the cars will have afterwards. But there's a little distinction. So
0: when, you, sorry, when you're saying before and after, you mean before and after impact?
2: Yes, yeah, sorry. So before the collision sorry, and after yeah. the collision, there's going to be some momentum for each of the, of the cars. There's going to be some energy for each of the cars. So before the crash, all the energy of the cars will be kinetic energy, be energy about motion. After the crash, there'll be some kinetic energy, but some of that energy will move into other forms. Um, and one of the forms it will move into is essentially the energy it needs to crumple the car. Okay, so that energy is going to go into one of the cars and well both the cars, and it's going to deform the car's shape and crumple it. Now modern cars are built to do this on purpose because the more kinetic energy you give the car, the more chance you have of causing whiplash or killing people inside the car. Okay, so you want to take that kinetic energy and just get rid of it. You want it to be heat, you want it to be sound, you want it to be the the crumpling, the deformation of the impact. So you find any way you can to take the kinetic energy in the collision and turn it into something else. Spamification. And this is why cars look horrific after a crash, because that's on purpose, right? They have design zones that crumple, so that they, they, they take all that energy out of the crash. So if Iron Man's going to take a hit from a tank shell, that armour better crumple. Because if it's not, then it's all turning into kinetic energy, and it's the kinetic energy that goes basically through the suit into Tony Stark, and that's what turns him into jam, right? Mm. So the fact that he gets hit by a tank shell and there's not really any visible damage to the suit, that probably means he's dead.
1: I mean, I think the scratches of the suit; it's more, it's more the damage to him.
2: Yeah, but the, if he wants to survive, he wants that suit to take the take the hit, take the damage, and there's no sign yeah. of it actually doing that. So. <laughs> Yeah, there's no space for it to do so.
1: Yeah, there's no there's no give
2: for that to work. There must be a way of the suit turning that energy into something else, whether it just reflects the energy or turns into sound. Maybe it's very loud, mm-hmm. um, but that's
1: a lot of sound. So, right? and again, sorry to to go into your uh, to, to, to to go back to the car thing. Obviously, in this situation. If Tony gets hit by is Tony, say, say if example, the, the tank shoots Tony, Tony gets hit by a tank shell. Where, if, where Tony a bigger a bigger thing, he may not move back. Is there going to be an aspect of if Tony gets hit by a tank shell, he's going to get thrown backwards, and that's going to take some of the the energy out of that that impact? So he he may not be instantly squished. It's, it's almost it's that whole, like, the cartoon thing of someone gets hit by something and goes flying off into the distance.
2: Like a racket still, hitting
1: a ball. Yeah.
2: So because Tony has less mass than yeah. a tank, right, um, he's going to be accelerated in the other, in, much harder than a tank would if it got hit by the shell.
1: Yeah, in the other direction. In the other direction. so Because we all know that every reaction has an equal and opposite reaction.
2: That's Newton's third law. So there's a reason you're in this class too. Um, now that applies to forces. Okay. So it's true that when when the tank shell hits Tony Stark, it applies a force on Tony, but Tony also applies a force on the tank shell. Yeah. So the difference being that, well, Tony's not got a huge amount of mass compared to the tank shell, maybe, right? So the acceleration is what what you end up thinking about. In the same way that. If a truck hits a, a a bike, then the truck and the bike are actually expending the same force on each other, but the, the bicycle comes off a lot worse because it's the acceleration that's dangerous, and the acceleration is related to the mass, so the the acceleration is the force divided by the mass, and that's Newton's second law. Okay, so here we go, right? This is actually quite a, a full-on classical mechanics class
1: who uh, thought uh, di- di- disproving Iron Man would get us through two laws of physics <laughs> and the third one I know
2: what
0: the
1: other one is a robot may not harm a human no <laughs> you're in the long right. long metro theater you need to go next door <laughs> I've earned my place here is there
2: going to be a test on the car crash I'll send you a paper
1: after this you can't copy off me <laughs> right What's up, Fair City Podcast? This is Chris and Dan from Fresh Talk. Check us out at freshtalkpodcast.com. That's right. And if you had any idea how long it took me and Dan to do that bumper, you would actually probably never listen to us. Totally true. Get him, Stoby.
2: Hey, Stoby, it's me, Jarrett. Go to JarrettGoesTheMovies.com. Check out the podcast. Also go to Rockstar Dad Show. Check that one out, too. It's freaking great. They're both great. Also, you just got a text and a Facebook message. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, um... I probably better give you this phone back. <laughs> Hello, this is uh, Jim.
2: And my name is Graham Chen Jack. And we're both responsible for the monstrosity that is a bloody mess podcast. We can be found at www.facebook.com slash podcast, twitter.com slash mess underscore
1: podcast, Instagram is a bloody mess. And we're at Alternative Wednesdays to the Science of Fiction podcast, which is a must-listen. <laughs> um, so... Obviously, we've looked at physical physical bashes that that, that 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 Tony takes, but one of the biggest parts of the suit is the flight capabilities, and we do see on several occasions when Tony goes past the the, the sound barrier and goes hits Mac, gets that sort of like sound burst and breaks mm-hmm. the the speed barrier, and you get the sonic boom and all that. Now, I know what you're going to say, but what effect does this have on on a human being? Because I was obviously in the movies like, yeah, yeah, cool. I can still make my my wise cracks and and all that sort of stuff. But at that point, is is you see, sort of like Air Force people, and when they're doing the G force things in in, a, in an airplane mm-hmm. and all that, and they've got the, the, all the gear on him. I mean, that's not going to be. It's like, what what effect is going at the speed of sound or past the speed of sound? uh going to have on someone inside a again inside a metal suit
2: so I don't think it's as bad as you're imagining so what what's happening is that um, right, right now while I'm speaking I'm moving my lips and my larynx and that's vibrating air molecules and making noise okay and those vibrations are moving at the speed of sound in air what happens during a sonic boom or during a point when you you go past Mach one is that you're traveling faster than that speed. Okay? And that has important effects when you're moving inside any kind of gas or, or liquid or fluid. If you can move faster than the speed of sound in that medium, then the ability for the particles in that medium to kind of speak to each other and say, Oh, I've done a wiggle, you better do a wiggle as well if you're going faster than that, then you're basically beating that information, right, which is why breaking the sound barrier is a big deal, and it's why you create this, what they call a shockwave. So, what's going to happen as Tony reaches Mach 1 is that a shock is going to develop at the top of his head, and it's going to move all the way down his body and then leave his tip, the tips of his feet. There's going to be a little bit of dissipation in his hands as well, because his hands are kind of stretched out a bit. So, When you look at how much pressure or energy is being felt by the tip of aircraft when they break the sound barrier, it's not as bad as you think. So if you're in a metal suit, that bit is actually fine. The the worrying bit is as it travels down his head and reaches his neck. So because he can move his head and he can turn left and right, it seems to me that the, the... the plating or the protective capability of a suit at the neck is compromised. And I have a a disturbing feeling that that's either going to be a bit like being punched in the throat. Or, I mean, I haven't done the maths, I couldn't tell you, but... He could just snap his neck. In the worst case, he could snap his neck.
1: Because one of the things I tend to find really confusing about the whole Iron Man suit is that I don't imagine it's very aerodynamic. It's not, right? he's got big shoulders.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, humans can't fly, right? We're not aerodynamic in shape.
1: Really?
0: Yeah. Oh, man. I tried once when I was three. I ended up in hospital for a week. I
1: remember you, I remember your last attempt at flying. You broke both
0: of your wrists. <laughs> oh, yeah, I tried once when I was 21. <laughs> That's right. But, but no, I tried once when I was three I um, fractured my skull. So. That explains so much. How far did you get? almost terminal velocity uh,
1: <laughs> felt like at uh, the time
0: <laughs> no I fell off a climbing frame so just your standard kiddie sized climbing frame but the first thing to hit the concrete was the top of my head so Soft yeah part. split down the middle, doesn't affect me now I mean there's no long term damage, I'm a helicopter we don't get affected by things like that so it's fine
1: it, okay. does, it, it does explain your blind spot for the number 17 <laughs> where is it? where'd it go?
2: He just goes straight
1: past it. I <laughs> will leave this here. Pineapple.
2: And <laughs> um, so,
0: going back to the the tank hitting them, is there any kind of technology to mm-hmm. like shock, like nullify the shock in any way, like that could counter produce enemy energy as quickly, you know, at, at the same time potentially.
2: Well, as in, like you produce energy yeah, yeah. and that goes against the energy. And somehow beats it. Does not
0: really no, work like that? I don't know. It works in uh, My Hero Academia. So <laughs> there's a, Well, it's not shock <laughs> nullification, it's shock absorption. Slightly different.
2: I mean, we have things like shock absorption technology, right? Um, they're not really designed to absorb the shock right. from being hit by a tank shell.
1: Also, again, you would have to be miniaturized to a ridiculous... Level surely, unlike if it's if it's an ironman suit.
2: Yeah, I mean you have shock absorption in your car, for example, but you don't. You can't really fit it onto like, you know,
1: a man suit. A person suit. A person. (laughs) Excuse me. A person suit. That's 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 true. um, That's true. Alienate anyone
0: here. Moving on, then the next thing we were talking about was in the Avengers at the end of the Avengers. Tony grabs a nuclear bomb and rides it straight into hell Um, goes out through that portal throws it towards the Chitauri ship or whatever and then it explodes when he's and you see him getting hit by the blast as he gets sent hurtling back down to earth so there's two questions but the first one is what kind of effects would that have on his body and what would the suit need to protect him And what effects would it have on the suit?
2: Okay, well, let's break it down. So in any kind of like nuclear explosion or anything involving radioactivity, there's three kinds of activity you have to worry about. There's alpha decay, there's beta decay, and there's gamma decay. Alpha decay, for the most cases, is actually not that difficult to protect yourself against. If you hold up a sheet of paper, that's usually enough to protect yourself from alpha decay. Beta decay is actually the decay we were talking about for the palladium. So that's the emission of electrons. Um, beta decay, uh, you need slightly more. So basically, if you're inside a house, you're safe from beta decay. So it's that kind of level of protection. Um, gamma decay is gamma rays. Uh, and for gamma rays, you need like okay. layers of concrete to protect yourself. Like It needs to be quite thick. So there's actually a reason that we used to say duck and cover way back in the days when we thought that the bomb was about to drop, because duck and cover actually helped against a bunch of things. It helped you protect yourself from alpha and beta decay, because basically the table above you would protect you. And it also meant that if the building collapsed, you would at least have something above you to shelter you from, say, like falling masonry. So duck and cover like looks ridiculous, but actually is quite a sensible thing to do when you know, you're about to be hit by a nuclear explosion. There's not a lot you can do, but that's a good thing to do. So, duck and cover, folks. Um, <laughs> the problem I think Tony has then is the gamma rays. So he's going to sit in space. There's nothing in between him and the nuclear device, right? There's literally a vacuum. And then he gets completely pulverized by gamma rays that are going to be absorbed by all the circuitry, Um As gamma rays slam into atoms, they're going to strip out electrons, they're going to do all kinds of damage. So the electrons are going to then just kind of peter out, they're going to affect the circuitry in his suits. They're going to fry the electronics, basically. Okay, so this is the idea behind things like the electromagnetic pulse this idea that if you can detonate a nuclear weapon at a certain position, then maybe you can take out the electronics of of your uh, opponent. He would basically suffer an EMP. I've watched
1: Ocean's Eleven. I understand EMPs.
2: So it kind of makes sense that all his gear kind of deactivates and he basically falls back to Earth because basically his suit is broken.
1: Right.
0: But would that suit then protect him from the gamma rays or because it's not layers and layers of concrete, what would be the effects of gamma ray on him then? And nobody say he'll go green and big and turn into Tony Hulk. <laughs>
1: I was I wasn't going to go anywhere near that. One. No, no,
2: no, he won't. No. So the same thing that's happening to the atoms in his suit is going to happen to the atoms in his body. Right. Um, so those electrons are going to be stripped off, and they're going to fly about the place. Um, and you know, his DNA is going to be damaged. His cells are going to be damaged. His eyes are going to be damaged. Um, and essentially when we've seen this happen to people, we've seen this happen um, at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. You know, it causes terrible sickness, like massive organ dysfunction, tremendously bad burns to the skin as well. You know, it's going to kill the skin cells. Um, yeah, I mean, if he's within that kind of view of it, I mean, I, I, it's hard to estimate the distance you're talking about there, because you don't even really know how big the thing is he's shooting at. But... You've got to say that he's within, like, what ten kilometers of the thing? Is that sensible?
1: He's pretty close. Like, yes, yeah, he, he essentially lets it fly off, and it's not like it's, it's not like it's a long this time before he sort of stops moving and it it flies mm-hmm. off. So he, he's definitely within like the close range of a, yeah of a nuke.
2: So he's not in the like this is going to completely turn to ash zone. That's much closer, but he's in this zone in between that and the long distance zone where in the long distance zone your worry is about stuff flying up into the atmosphere and like charged particles being carried on the wind and being deposited and that's what we call fallout so he's in the zone where like the, the direct radiation from the bomb is hazardous yeah I think he's probably dead seems to be a common
0: theme in mm-hmm. what we're talking about with this Iron Man suit <laughs>
2: <laughs> like he's died about six different ways in this episode it's pretty harsh <laughs>
1: I mean, I mean, yeah, we, 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 the whole, the whole thing is obviously stretching the truth, but obviously then you then have that situation is after he's been essentially exposed to the vacuum of space because his suit stops working Mm -hmm. after he's in space and being exposed to massive amounts of radiation because he's within the radioactive blast of a nuclear bomb, uh, he then falls out of the sky, probably quite likely reaches a terminal velocity and then is caught by an object moving in the opposite direction in the form of the Hulk mm-hmm. before he actually impacts the ground. So it's not like, in, in, in that thing, it's not like he just hits the ground and splats, which would then be another question. He, Hulk jumps to catch him. Yep. Thus arresting his momentum mm-hmm. at whatever speed Hulk is jumping at. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, how is he not cut in half? Yep. Oh, okay. Yep.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How is he not cut in half? I, I don't get that.
1: Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a joke in, in the Big Bang Theory where they talk about the point in one of the Superman movies when Lois Lane has fallen out of a helicopter and Superman flies down to catch her as she's moving at, at, um, at, uh, at terminal velocity and then to scoop her up in his arms and points out that essentially what would happen is Superman would fly down, catch her arrest the motion, and then you would have three equal parts of Lois Lane on the ground, and then you would have to do the whole flying around the world backwards, uh, to save her over and over and over again. And it's just, yeah. So it, 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 this is a similar example to that where, where Hulk jumps, uh, up and catches, uh, fast, fall, fast falling, uh, Tony in his big, muscly Hulk invulnerable arms. Do you know? know Yeah, it's it's the same problem. It's the
2: same problem, and again, it's actually we can go back to the car crash example that you've got a collision. Basically, the collision is two people meeting in midair, and you know one is captured. Um, You've got to put the energy somewhere, and you know Iron Man doesn't have crumple zones. Lois Lane definitely doesn't have crumple zones. So, you know, yeah, they're, they're kind of boned. Yeah. Again. Yeah.
1: It's one of those things where it's, it, 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 the, lack, the lack of crumple zones leads to what I refer to as a no-clipping error uh, when you have two objects that then op- occupy the same space, uh, neither of which are going to enjoy <laughs> that experience. Um, to quickly go back to something that I'd forgotten we mentioned earlier before we started recording. Uh, with the sonic boom, and going at the speed of sound, mm-hmm. Uh Would that or would that not have an effect on Tony's hearing? Where where he is at that point, would he be affected by the the hearing in that situation?
2: A sonic boom is pretty loud. Stobes, you looked up um, what a typical sonic boom had. Sure did. In terms of energy and decibels. Can you you got that there?
0: So typically, yeah, yeah. uh, Typically the shock front may approach 100 megawatts per square metre, and may exceed two hundred decibels. So
2: that's- Wow, okay. So a hundred megawatts per square meter, to put it in context, the like the energy we get from the sun is about fourteen hundred uh watts per square meter. I think that is that the right figure?
1: We can always edit it later. Anyway, it's
2: a lot less than a hundred megawatts. Right? That's a lot of energy being concentrated in that space. Um and two hundred decibels, like, you know. That's very loud. Um, you know, if you stood next to a plane as it was taken off, it might, like a, like a big jumbo jet, it might be 130. So, and it's not even as if you could say, well, just put two jumbo jets next to each other and that's over 200. That's not how, how the decibel system works, it's logarithmic. So,
1: 200 is really, really loud. So, not only would uh, Tony probably land from one of these flights. And you know, have a huge amount of pain, but he probably wouldn't be able to hear what anyone's saying, unless he's got really good earplugs
2: in that suit of his.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I can't hear you. I'm in an awful lot of pain. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, it's almost like he's built himself a torture suit, isn't it? It's. it's it I am Iron Maiden. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it seemed like a great idea at the time. <laughs>
0: oh man! So one of the things I'd been looking up with Iron Man, because it was kind of puzzling me, not puzzling, but I was just curious about it, is because of the arc reactor, what is he doing from his palms, like you were talking about before, that generates that energy that comes out, the sort of what you were describing as the plasma energy earlier. And what it tends to be called is a repulsor blast. Now, I'm not sure if a repulsor blast is like completely fictional made up name. I think so. Yeah. I didn't know if it was that or derived from some kind of technology. Um I figured it was the same sort of league as Adamantium. So looked it up and looked up what sort of um, physics enthusiasts had sort of described it as. And I thought, I'll read this to you, Forgan, and you can pick it apart if it's complete and utter nonsense. Um so bear <laughs> with me. So it's a form in which a high-density muon beam can be projected as a powerful blast of concussive energy. Um, Mm -hmm. What I did find quite funny and thought it was worth noting for this is that when he's expelling that energy, it doesn't have moving parts. It imparts kinetic force on the target. It charges quickly and there's no visible thermal or chemical damage. They are independent from the rest of the suit. And there's a, a small recoil when they're fired. Now, imagining for the energy required to make these happen, it would be more than just a small recoil. Mm. It would be a lot warmer, and it would probably take some charging time, amongst
1: other things. Yes. What's your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I just want to quickly hop in here, because as the expert on the pronunciation, it's not muon, it's moyon. It, is it? To, it's mu uh, muon, yeah. Throwback to episode one. <laughs> Muon, or at least that's my reading. Morgan
0: threw me under the bus. He told me it was
1: muon or muon, <laughs> <Myon>, muon, Sorry. <laughs> You're probably right. You're probably right. I just this is how I'm reading it.
2: Okay, so I say muon. Muons um, are real. We can um, we can observe muons, and the way we observe muons is their interaction with the atmosphere as they come in, um, and doing so, we they produce electrons. So we can convert muons to electrons and we measure the electrons coming in and we can use our physics knowledge to figure out these are muons, right? And in particle accelerators, we can also measure them directly now as well.
0: With an electric charge of minus one E and a spin of half. Yes, very good. But with a much greater mass and is classified as
2: a lepton. Very good. Uh, So you can set my particle physics class then. Excellent. Thanks, Um, Dr. Google. Now, okay, so (laughs) electrons and muons are... Are both leptons? For a bonus prize, can you name me the third lepton in that series? Proton? <laughs> no.
1: <Nope. laughs> no idea. <laughs> you Megatron. You it it <laughs> is. It no. Dave. It's well. I mean, it might be called. Okay, Dave. so it's called the tau. Yeah, what? Sorry. Okay, Sorry, so you've got it's called the what? tau,
2: as in t a tau tau. Tau. Ah. tau. So you have the electron, the muon, and the tau. Tau, you know, uh, muons are like basically uh, in, in in sort of glib terms, they're like heavy electrons. No need to be glib here. So let's let's be glib. They're heavy electrons. Um, the as as said, they have the same charge as an electron, have the same spin. Uh, they're just a little bit more massive. So I guess what you're saying is is that this thing is firing muons
0: at... And adding plasma to them. Let me let me, let me continue with the, the thing. So we talked about the muon. What it's saying is then the suit can then generate powerful blasts by intake of air through the suit and running it to an isolated section behind the palm. And then an electric current is then run through a section of the gauntlet attached to the palm to create a small amount of plasma. Mm-hmm. Um, which is created by adding energy to a gas so that some of its electrons leave its atoms.
2: Yeah, that that's, right? that's the basic definition cool. of a plasma, is that if you take the air and you heat it enough, Sweet. then the uh, the protons and electrons become separated and it becomes like a big charged soup. That's basically what a plasma is, yeah.
0: Mm, soup. Cool. I'm saying these words, I don't know what they mean. <laughs> that's my life. <laughs> And because of the muon's electromagnetic properties, the plasma and muons can be fired from the hands and chest to create repulsor blasts as a primary weapon. Okay. And they can also be used as thrust, similar to certain space rocket engines. Yes.
2: So um, ion thrust is actually quite a useful form of engine. And a lot of satellites use ion thrust and it's basically just push ions out the back and you get a push forward because of Newton's third law.
1: See twenty minutes ago.
2: So there you go. Most of that is okay. Just where the muons coming from? If they just said electrons, I'd have probably sat back and gone. Do you know what? It's
1: a bit far fetched, but not bad. I think you'll find that they come from the heart of a dark star a dying star. Not if you can pronounce it correctly. <laughs> I'm going to go back. To, I'm going to go back to this joke again. I'm. 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 I'm committing to this bit.
2: I just imagine it was like tiny little hammers, just like. Rolling about the place.
0: So do you think he's maybe got a section which is like carbon or beryllium targets that he's then colliding these muons with in some way, shape, or form? (laughs)
1: Look at you reading your Google. (laughs) So
2: what would happen if you collided muons with a carbon target?
0: Um, Well, the high energy interaction between the incoming protons and the target protons or neutrons produce particles known as Pions, pions, or pions, maybe. Yeah, I just realised it's got the pi symbol, uh, and they can exist in positive or negative charge states, depending mm. on what he needs them
2: for. Okay, so he's using pion production. So I've run out of text, so don't ask me anything else. <laughs> so what you're saying is that he's basically got particle accelerators in his hands. That's so what it sounds like. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I mean, it, if you're willing to con- like t- on the conceit that he's got a particle accelerator in his chest, having two in his hands is probably not that bad, right? Yeah, I mean that's—it's not ridiculous. Just the energies involved would be staggering, right? For pion production to work, in reality, we need huge amounts of energy, and we need to give them to like a handful of protons. We have to have all this energy, and then we can smash them together, and we can start doing things.
0: I take it this this kind of miniaturization of this energy output then is just completely not possible in current technology. Is it possible in future?
2: I think that's where it falls down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the things that are happening there are all things that happen inside a particle accelerator if you have the right conditions. But most particle accelerators operate in a vacuum. So doing this in air is very hard because you've just got lots of molecules in the way, right? You're trying to shoot whatever it is. You're trying to shoot plasma at your target and there's a whole bunch of air in the way saying, ah, ouch." Um, and you're heating that up, turning that into plasma, and all that energy is going into the air and not into your target. Mm. So you've got to have a lot of energy to get through all that, to get to your target, to hurt them, or do whatever it is you want. Um, So that's kind of bad.
1: Isn't there also going to be an issue, um, say, again, flying around, firing off plasma bolts, that he's going to have to have some system where he can react against the force of the plasma coming out mm-hmm. so when he's standing there going pew 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 he's not being fired backwards at whatever speed because of the law number three uh, where he fires the plasma bolt and just goes flying backwards yes. rather than actually just firing the bolts forwards. Yeah you're
2: have to assume that the suit itself is absorbing some of that force and is basically pushing back but there is some recoil, right? I mean, you see in the films he does I mean, tend see, to like.
1: You see, you literally see him sort of like the hand sort of knocks back, but mm. it, it, it's not like he has an engine uh, on the back. Yeah. I mean, mm. he has sort of an an air intake at some at some points, but it's or, and, and like uh, what, I don't want to say flaps, but they're more stabilization flaps than anything else. Mm. Mm. Uh It's not like he has it has like similar things, cause obviously, hands. Will move around. So if he's firing off to his right, mm-hmm. he's going to go flying off to the left. Yeah. Because he's just firing. And, and yeah, and you see in the first movie that the position of the hands is quite important mm-hmm. when it comes to being able to fly. And I think, in, I think, again, this is my sleep adult brain. Um, one of the things that they did with the Iron Man suit in Avengers, the first Avengers movie, is they redesigned it so he didn't have to use his hands as much for steering. So he had those those little engines underneath his—I yeah. uh I don't know if it's traps or whatever—you you know, muscles <laughs> more than I do. But like he had the sort of underarm or just along the back, the little, little little engines, little little rocket or little, little stabilizers, propulsion engines. Stabilizers, yeah. Stabilizer engines underneath so mm-hmm. that he didn't have to use his hands to, to fire, fly, or di- direct his di- movements. Um, but even if then, even if he's doing that, he's still, while he's flying with the, while he's using the repulsor blasts while he's flying, there's still going to be a, an effect on his, his uh, trajectory. Yes. Go, got the right word. Yep. Cool. I don't know where I was going. With that. I thought you were
2: going yeah, I, yeah. I was just going to have to agree with you.
1: I thought I, 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 clearly. I hold on. So essentially, what we've managed to do is find something that. Yeah. Okay. I've disproved. I've disproved
0: something. I've disproved my ability to speak coherently. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much.
1: No, I made a relatively good point. i put the a trajectory out, which was pretty solid. I remember details of a movie I watched in 2012. I'm yeah, really not bad happy with that. I was just expecting a bit more elaboration from Forgan, <laughs> rather than go, "Yeah, you pretty much nailed it." Well, you kind
2: of hit it on the head, right? That that yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be tricky to to keep flight when you've got you're trying to achieve thrust, and you've got the recoil from whatever it is that's doing the thrusting. Um, and it's uneven and it's coming from like random points, and those points can move as your arms move. It's dirty, mine's kicked in. <laughs> broken down. I happened? mean,
1: <laughs> it's difficult when you say thrusting coming from different directions and. Uh, <laughs> it's 20 past <laughs> 10.
2: Like, oh, get out of the gutter, mate, seriously.
1: Arms all over the place. <laughs> and here's the other thing like, I mean, how much. How much reinforcement of his arm is he going to need to not be able to fire the repulsor and just go Poof, and rip his arm? I'm sure he'll in
2: quite a lot. I mean, I don't know how much energy is in one of these blasts, so I couldn't tell you. But
1: because, like, you see it, you see it in the early parts where he's like he blows up a a window and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an exoskeleton there, but there's got to be a point where you're going if you're firing the big blasts, you need more.
2: Mm. I suspect yeah. you need more. That's my intuition. That, that's
0: what I think. The the general. Consensus is Iron Man armor just would not work um, based on the current real world real world science.
1: The way it's, <laughs> yeah,
2: it's not Iron Man, it's Iron Jam. I'm
0: I'm I'm sticking with Iron Maiden, Torture Device, um, Iron Spam, Iron Spam. <laughs> so yeah, I mean we've I love the films. I love Tony Stark. I love the comics. I you know I've read a lot of them, but. Yeah, it just you have you always have oh. the suspicion in your head that things just wouldn't work, but sometimes you think, well, most of it will probably work. It's just a little bit. Then Forgan comes along, <laughs>
2: absolute
1: killjoy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's so interesting. Like it's one of those things. Like one of the things that the Marvel movies do is it's really good at helping you suspend that disbelief. But when you do have a friend who's an astrophysicist, then when you do turn around and ask this question, like, why isn't he turned to jam? And you just go, well, he would be. Um, yeah, he would just, like, he would land, and then, like, he would just, he would, they would have to sort of, like, gather him up in a sponge. Uh, and so, sort of, yeah. <laughs> then he went. Oh, Iron Man was a great hero for the whole 15 seconds he was Iron Man.
2: Woohoo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man. It's a shame he didn't make it out of that cave. <laughs> Tony Stark today was killed after he built himself a rocket and fired himself into the ground. Oh, brilliant. Very different so I think, movie.
0: I think we'll wrap it
1: up at that. Um, what, wrapped up? Spaghettificated? Much like Tony Stark would be after he'd crashed into the ground. <laughs> yeah, just like completely mummified. Jammed. Full body cast. Spamification. Spamification goes very well with spaghetti. Goes very well with spaghetti. If you like chopping up, yeah, this is not a Brexit <laughs> cookbook. Spices and some tomato sauce. In there.
0: Uh, right, cool. So Stu Forgan, thanks as always for being on. It's been, it has actually again, and I say this in a lot of episodes, been mind blowing, and fascinating as well. Just the, the elements that wouldn't come into consideration in my mind, like. The sonic boom actually impacting the neck before anywhere else would, ne- you know, just things like that. Stu, where can people find you
1: on the old internets? I am on the Twitter at Barg the Ogre. Um, There's also a, a Twitter account for uh, the old uh, Inside the Ogre's Cavern podcast, but it's not really active very much. Um, and that's about it, really. Thanks. Forgan, what about you? I'm on the Twitters as well,
2: and you can find me at DH4GAN. That's the number four.
0: Excellent. Thanks for that. So you can also find us at fcpod.net forward slash the science of fiction. You can find us on Twitter at sci of fi podcast, and you can also find us now on Facebook. So if you listen, you enjoy, look for the science of fiction
1: podcast group. Just want to give a quick shout out to, to 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 Alan, our good friend, who will get a really big hit out of being mentioned on this because he's listened to every episode. We get a little bit of feedback from him every time. Uh, the Sanj report is is a is a joy every week because he points out things that we've done. So, hi, Sand. Um, I'm so glad you go back to Stoby and Forgan and don't come to me About anything we've we've talked about So I don't feel in any way inferior Or missed out but uh, you know Love the digger hands
0: If you put your feedback into the the Facebook group now Sanj Stu will see it too
1: (laughs) I'm a part of this thing too
0: (laughs) So Like I said you can find us on there Thanks for listening and tune in again In two weeks for our next episode Say bye everyone bye everyone bye
1: everyone Got an addiction baby